0: Father God, in this world today, as we watch the news, as we hear about things happening, Lord, we do need to be strong and courageous. It seems like sometimes the enemy is gaining power and rising up and fighting against your people and your work. But we know that you are greater than all of that that you are above all of that and that evil will not win because you, Lord Jesus, have conquered death and sin and that you've done that for us. May today we catch a glimpse of that. May we know that you have rescued us, you have saved us. We are your little ones and we are safe in your arms. As we read Psalm 3 together and as we hear your word brought to us, may you bring us into your presence, may you bring us into your loving arms that have saved us and give us such a firm sense of your goodness that we may trust you and be strong and courageous with whatever it is that you have for us in this life. And we ask this through the saving name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.
1: Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord. He answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail on me every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Hello, everyone. Man, it's been ages. So long. It's been too long. I was... Um, Talking to Stephen before at the door, I kind of said it feels a bit like I was on autopilot this morning, still driving down here. Kind of blinked, and I was here in a very safe way, though. Don't worry, in a very safe way. But it's so good uh, to be back here with you all. Thanks for having me, and uh, really keen to get into such a great um, psalm together in Psalm three uh, this morning. Um, as we get started, I thought I might ask you ask you a question. It's a deep question for a Sunday morning. It's a pretty big one, but uh, can you think of a time when you felt pressure? Time when you felt under like a lot of pressure. Um, <clears throat> for me, I was about five years old, right, when I felt this first feeling of great pressure. Um, I was about five years old when I entered my first fifty-meter sprint race. And the pressure I felt that day is probably like nothing I've ever experienced again in my life, right? That pressure, it was, it was big, right? It was big. When I heard about the sports day and, and this run that I was going to be doing, this 50-metre sprint, I did what any top-tier five-year-old athlete would do. Uh, I went into a, an intense training regime, of course. Uh, I drank two eggs a day. I did push-ups. I did sit-ups. I was running laps. You know, Googling as well, like, how to win a race, I wasn't really, I was five years old, but but I was, really, I was really excited, a really exciting time. And I remember on the day lining up for that 50 metre race, in front of me was the finish line on my right hand side, there was a stadium that was kind of full of, uh, of parents and spectators and that kind of thing, and I remember feeling the pressure. I was so nervous about this race, but also really excited about what I was about to do. But I was definitely there to win, right? So I waited nervously for that signal to start running. It happens, the gun went off, I started running, that pressure... And that nervousness kind of just gave wings to my feet as I flew down. I flew down. That 50-meter track was amazing. I was doing so well, too. Uh, but then something happened. Something terrible happened. My little legs pumping and my heart pounding. Something kind of started to feel wrong. And it turns out that in all the excitement and with that mounting pressure that was on my five-year-old shoulders, I'd forgotten something that was pretty crucial, right, something that every athlete actually knows is really important. So if you've got a pen and paper in front of you, get, get ready, have got, got to write this down, what's important for any athlete to know, okay? The drawstring on your shorts is really important. It's really, it's a good thing for athletes to know. See, with every step I took in that race, my shorts fell further and further down, until in front of a stadium full of you know, parents and students, and I'm sure like the many talent scouts that were there as well to watch me run, I finished the race with my shorts around my ankles. And the pressure I felt then in front of the stadium full of people on that day was very different to the pressure I, I felt at the start of the race, but I was so embarrassed. And that kind of feeling, it still haunts me a little bit to this day. It was one of the most embarrassing moments of my childhood. But can you remember a time when you felt pressure? That's a bit of a joke to get started, but, but there are many pressures in life, aren't there? Some really serious pressures that are much, much greater than what I was feeling on that day. And at the moment, I bet many of us actually are feeling under pressure in different ways, aren't we? And you know, you know that feeling of being under pressure, right? It can kind of um, feel like a bit of a tunnel, Uh, is kind of how I've felt at points, kind of closing in around you, kind of the walls getting a bit tighter and kind of the end of the tunnel can can appear like way out in the distance, but somehow it gets further away while the thing causing that pressure in our lives can just get closer and closer somehow. I don't know um, if you've ever felt that way, but I've definitely felt that kind of pressure. And there are many things that might cause this pressure as well. Like it might be caused by, uh, by grief and trying to manage loss. It might, um, might be sickness and trying to manage that, or it might be work, it might be relationships, any number of things. I reckon um, for many of us at the moment, the constant uncertainty of restrictions and lockdown at the moment might be making us feel a bit anxious and might be making us feel that pressure as well. Or certainly looking at the news at the moment and what's happening in parts of the world like Afghanistan and feeling the brokenness of the world. It's hard not to feel that pressure. But when you feel pressure, what do you do? When you feel pressure, what helps you? Well, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, with following the leader, with following the leader. And when I say that, I mean going to the things that, that might help us out in the times that we're, we're, that we're feeling under pressure, that we think might lead us out of that tunnel and under that pressure that we're kind of feeling. It's about following the leader. Now, what, what comes to mind when you hear that phrase, follow the leader? For me, it's kind of that great game, Simon Says, comes to mind. I don't know if you guys want to play. There's a big yard out there. It's a nice day. We can play a big game of Simon Says at the end of the service. It's up to you. You, you can decide at the end. Um, or maybe you think about following someone to get somewhere. Now, I have no sense of direction, so I do this constantly. I wouldn't follow me anywhere. Can I ask Jake Hodge, next time you see him, uh, while I was here, the year I was here, I used to pick him up, we'd go uh, read the Bible somewhere, and I'd say, Jake, we're gonna, let's go to Port Elliot Bakery. And, um, and then we'd be halfway to Galwa, and, and Jake would say, Jack, you've, you've gone the wrong way again. It's, it's the other way. Like, I wouldn't follow me anywhere. Imagine getting lost on the, anyway. It's right. We, um, we all follow a leader somewhere, especially when we're under pressure. Well, in Psalm 3 this morning, we read that King David is, uh, is fleeing from his own son, his own son who's turned against him and is trying to kill him. And not only that, but Absalom, who's David's son, has turned almost everyone, right, David's own people, the Israelites, against him. How many rise up against me, David says. And I wonder for the Israelites who chose to remain loyal to King David, what was going through their heads as they followed their leader under pressure. Because for the Israelites, the fate of their king was the fate that they would share as well. The fate of their king was their fate. That's what. Verse 8 of Psalm 3 kind of helps point us toward and understand. And you know, that's actually true for us as well, that we share in the fate of the leader that we cling to and the leader that we follow. Now, as we go through this Psalm today and read of King David's response, while being under that great pressure, we're also pointed to another king, actually the promised King Jesus, who David foreshadows, the real king of the Psalms. A king who felt pressure in a way that we could never fully grasp and understand and who helps us see how this psalm is one that we can pray as well if we follow him, our king, our leader, our saviour. Now I want to say this morning that many good things can help us out during those times that we feel that kind of pressure in life but in this psalm today we're pointed toward a leader that brings real and, and lasting promises of rest and promises of assurance that we can cling to even in the deepest, darkest, and hardest times of our lives. We can follow our leader under pressure. Our psalm is a song or a prayer that's been written to help us respond to who God is, uh, using words that God himself has given to us. And as I said, this psalm is written this morning by King David. As we dive into the first couple of verses, I want you to, uh, to imagine with me uh, just being at, at a big concert, And in the middle of the night, a lone singer kind of gets up there, stands up on the stage and starts singing a solo, and then I want you to imagine being invited to join in on that song. See, that's where we are this morning, where those people sitting in that concert hall, hearing the voice of the king just echoing around all the walls, and the invitation is thrown out there for us to join in with this king solo in Psalm 3. And this morning, I really hope um, that you can respond to that invitation, that you can do just that. Well, this psalm breaks into four sections. That's how we're going to look at it today. Firstly, in verses 1 to 2, and looking at following the leader under pressure. Point one on the screen, following the leader under pressure. Well, in verses 1 to 2, after being chased out from his kingdom, David writes this. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. See, here we are hearing the great anguish of a king. See, the first few lines of the solo we hear this morning are that of lament, of a king under pressure. He's anxious, he's worried. He's a king betrayed and hunted, chased out of his own city by his own son, trying to kill him. Why would he feel anything else? You can read this story in 2 Samuel chapter 15-17 to 17, later on to understand the scope of what's going on and what he's going through. But in these first few lines, we read of David's central concern while he's going through all of this. It's the thing that kind of cuts him to the heart. See, David's brought before God the many people who've turned against him. He says, how many rise up against me? Uh, but then what could we expect the king to follow this with? How many rise against me? They're trying to kill me. How many rise against me? They're turning all these other people against me with the lies they're telling. How many rise up against me? They've taken my throne. They've taken my favorite purple robe as well. Um, that's not what he says. The thing that concerns David most of all, it's what they're saying. These are the words that cut into the heart. They're saying, "God will not deliver him." See what concerns David more than arrows or swords or war, even having his throne, even death itself, are the people pursuing him saying that God is not there for David, that God will not deliver him. See here is what lies at the heart of the pressure that David is feeling. And when you think of the Israelites who were following David, his his, loyal subjects who were supporting him, see, these were words that would have echoed down to their ears as well, causing the same doubt, causing fear, as they heard these words shouted at their king. But you know, as these words echo down to the Israelites, they don't actually stop there. See, as I said at the beginning, this psalm points us toward the true king of the psalms, the true king of the Bible, who all this points us towards. actually see that these words echo down the storyline of the whole Bible to the ears of God's very own son, the promised king, strung up on a cross to die a criminal's death, a king who, like David, was pursued by those who wanted to kill him, who was betrayed by one of his closest followers, and now dying an innocent man on a cross in the place of guilty people. And how they mocked him. He saved others, they cry, but he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In other words, they're saying God will not deliver him. God is not there for you. You know, just like the Israelites who followed David out of Jerusalem, just like they would have felt the impact of those words to him and the suffering of their king, well, we kind of feel the impact of those words as well, don't we? And we might feel it in a variety of different ways. See, Christopher has written a lot about Psalms, and some of what he's written has been really helpful um, for me as I've read through Psalm 3. And he says this, it should pop up on the screen behind me. As one of the king's loyal people... I must expect some overflow of those pressures and not be surprised when I do. He goes on to say, actually, this is precisely what the New Testament teaches, that we will share in the sufferings of our king. See, in Jesus, we see a king who felt the pressures of life in all the ways that we do, and even more. God's chosen king, his own son, rejected by a world that he came to save. And as those people who follow Jesus, as those people who have been saved by Jesus, well, we can actually expect to feel some of the pressure of that rejection as well. I don't know if you've felt that at some point, maybe um, from someone close to you who you love, because you follow Jesus, but that can be really hard, can't it? And as we all know, for our brothers and sisters overseas at the moment in Afghanistan, all that stuff on the news I mean they're feeling this rejection in terrible ways even facing death those who follow Jesus can expect to feel that pressure of rejection can expect to feel that overflow And shouldn't really be surprised when they do But you know, in Jesus, we also see a human being who faced a temptation, who felt sorrow and grief, who felt weary and alone at times, who had good days and bad days, someone who faced the same pressures in the world that we do. And I wonder if in those times as well, if you've heard those same words kind of echoing in your ears, God will not deliver you, God's not with you. Am I alone in kind of having heard that voice before in my head? Well, King David certainly hears it in Psalm 3, so how will he respond? Will he respond in fear or with, with a sword and, and a war council or in continued flight to a friendlier people? No, it's not how he responds, is it, in this psalm? He responds by remembering who God is. He responds by remembering the promises that God has made to him. In point two, following the leader to God's promises. See, back in our concert hall where we are, Uh, There's a bit of a shift in the tone of our lone singer. It's no longer those kind of minor chords, that melancholy, and that dread that's kind of stirred by that. There's this rich, warm tone that produces this big shift in how we're feeling and what we're reading. David says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. We now hear in this song the unique claim of the chosen king of God's people, a claim that only he can make, not those pursuing him, not even those following him. Only the chosen king of Israel, who God has put on the throne, can say these words. See, in the movement of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, they stand as a really foundational uh, introduction to the Psalms that help us to read them. In Psalm 1, we read of the importance of God's word or the law or the Torah, and listening to it, and meditating on it. And then in Psalm 2, we read about the importance of God's chosen king. In Psalm 2, we hear God saying in verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the the ends of the earth your possession. See, it's not for Absalom to decide who God's chosen king is. It's not the Israelites pursuing David to kill him who are going to decide this. It's God. And it's always been God. And God has always acted toward David by keeping his promises. So David can confidently say these words of verses 3 and 4, words that declare his trust in God as the one who will shield him from every direction. God as David's glory or his magnificence, his dignity as the king of Israel. And the one who will lift David's head that is currently bowed under pressure to be held high in victory. It's a victory that won't come about by David stirring his army with a great speech or by gathering his council together and coming up with a great battle strategy. It's a victory that will belong to God like it always has. And David can call out to God for deliverance, knowing that he will answer above those voices that are crying out that God would not deliver him. See, the enemies of the king will not prevail over him. God is a shield all around him. Now, to take from, uh, from Christopher Ash again, he calls these kingly promises an arrow. He says it's, it's one that's been let loose and just flies the length of the entire Bible, past lines and lines of kings, uh, straight to the one king, the King David was foreshadowing King Jesus. The king that God has set eternally on his throne in heaven. You know, for those who follow David out from Jerusalem, being chased and feeling this kind of overwhelming pressure, well, just as they shared in the suffering of their king, they also would share in his glory. They would share in his victory. And it's the same for those who follow Jesus. But it's so much better. See, the victory David knows that God will hand him, it's a victory over man. But the victory of Jesus, it's the greatest victory there will ever be. It's a victory over death itself victory over sin, a victory that shows Jesus for who he is as the king to follow, the king who saves, the one who is our king, so that those who follow Jesus can share in this victory as well, resting in the knowledge that God is our shield, our glory, the lifter of our heads, the one who we can cry out to as well, knowing that he hears us. It's also something the New Testament reiterates again and again that those who follow Jesus share in his suffering, yes, but they also share in his glory and share in his victory. You know, we contribute, though, the same thing that King David did to God saving him, because God did save him. We read that as well in 2 Samuel. And this is important. This is the secret of our contribution, okay? It's nothing. Instead, it's the response of David trusting in God's promises and God saving him that we are called to as well. Promises that lead us straight to Jesus as the one who can save us and putting our trust in him. Promises that lead us to the cross where Jesus gave his life in our place to save us from our sin. That's the king we're called to follow, a king who would die for us willingly. And for those who follow this king, although we share in his suffering, we also share in his eternal victory and glory, knowing fully that though life is hard now, and though we will experience suffering and grief and hardship and pressure presently, that God is with us in that tunnel, always. Now, if Jesus has done this for us, if he's died for us, if he's risen again and is reigning as this eternal promised king, Do you really think he's going to leave you now and forget about you when you're in need? No. See Point three, we can follow the leader to rest. Now, I'm not sure what your response would be if uh, if an army was chasing after you to kill you. Um, At the least, you might put maybe a bit of camouflage on. I reckon that's what I'd do, some camouflage, maybe hide behind a tree, something like that. Uh, But David, having remembered the promises of God, says this. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And you know, I wonder for the Israelites how they would have felt at this point. You know, okay, we've just kind of we've convened this war council. Davo's favorite red M&Ms are here. We know he needs those M&Ms for this. But where is he? Well, their king, God's chosen king, he's resting. Resting in the promises of his God, not fearing the tens of thousands of people who are around him, who are crying out that God will not deliver you. See, because he knows God and can trust in him, he can sleep and he wakes. And when he does, he knows it's because God sustains him and nothing else. Uh, Now, I don't think this is saying that if you can't sleep at night, then you're not resting in the promises of God well enough. It's definitely not what this is saying. and actually sounds like a really stressful thing to have to try to put yourself through as well. It's not what this is saying. But I mean, we do see Jesus sleeping in a boat in a storm in Mark 4, don't we? And like, it's, that's pretty crazy. His disciples are freaking out. He's fast asleep. But we also read of Jesus' sleepless nights while he prays, while he helps people, while he agonizes as well over what is about to happen to him when he's arrested. See, what I do think David is getting at in Psalm 3, though, is that he can enjoy the promises of God in the present, even when life is battering him. Because he knows ultimately that God is with him. He knows that God will deliver him. So this greatly impacts how David feels about the situation that he's in. And I think this is something that's true for us as well, when we're struggling and feeling pressure or hurting and and maybe feel like God isn't there. Now, it doesn't mean that we go through life pretending that our struggles and pressures aren't there and just kind of smile and kind of get on with life. David doesn't do that in the first few verses. Jesus never did that. And it would be kind of ridiculous for us to pretend that this is the case, wouldn't it? But what it does mean is that when we are in the midst of the pressures of life, feeling those sides closing in on us, when it might feel like God isn't there, like the world's against you, that you as well can turn back to the promises of God in Jesus, the king that we follow, and know that these words, they're just—they're not true. God is with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. Like Jesus knew in his suffering, like David knew in his, even though he was surrounded and didn't know what would happen. God says, I've got you. If I've got you from the greatest enemy in existence, do you really think I'm not with you in this? Rest in the promises that he's made to us in his son Jesus. Follow the leader. It'll be okay. And even if that means our eyes are closed for the final time in this life, we can know that they will open again in his presence when the victory of our king is complete. See, we can follow the leader to rest in the promises of God. And finally, point four, the last couple of verses, following the leader to assurance. Now, knowing the pressure he's under, turning to God's promises and resting in those promises, David proclaims the assurance he has in God's deliverance, the assurance of salvation. See, the final verses of our song being sung by the solo singer, they ring out really loudly across the hall as he just shouts out, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. What's going on here? Why why strike them on the jaw? Why, Why break their teeth and that kind of thing. Well, um, I'll, I'll show you. I brought my little prop. It's one of my socks, and I can't, I can't quite remember what basket I got it out of, but that's, that's fine. But I, at the moment, it's quite easy for me to say this. God will not deliver you. God will not deliver you. I can say it really aggressively, right? But now... <laughs> doesn't have quite the same effect, does it? Because just like I can't talk with a mouthful of socks, David's enemies can no longer cry out that God will not deliver him because God will render them unable to. They won't be able to speak those words out around their swollen jaws, around their broken teeth. You know, we can know the same assurance today with the pressures that we face in life. Though they're there, though they're hard... When we remember the promises of God and what he's already done for us in his son, you know, the teeth of those pressures are kind of smashed out, their jaws swollen. Or if that's too graphic, just imagine that sock being stuffed into its mouth. It's muffled cries of God will not deliver you. They'll begin to lose form as your eyes are lifted to that amazing reality of our victorious and risen king. Back in that tunnel of pressure, we can know that Jesus is right in front of us. He's right beside us, He's behind us as well. He's with us, leading us. And remember what David says in verse eight, He says, "From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people." That's how he finishes. Because remember, those who follow the leader share in the fate of their leader as well. This final line, it's an invitation for the king's people to join in in this song. It's that lone singer on the stage, Jesus, inviting all of us to stand up there with him and to join in the solo of a king that is now just a choir of people who are saved by faith in him and following him. Those who can expect um, to share in the suffering of this king of our king in this world can also share in his kingly promises, remember. We can rest in the assurance of salvation because of what our king has done for us already. And this is a song that in its fulfillment, it's never meant to be sung alone. It's meant to be sung shoulder to shoulder, holding each other up under the pressures of this world as we join in feeling sorrow and grief and and concern and pain and pressure and turning together to the promises of God that are complete in the person of Jesus, our King, our leader. See, nothing else in the world can give us what he has. Other things might bring temporary relief and might help us as we face different struggles and pressures in life. And some of those things are actually really good, aren't they? And we should be thankful to God that they are there to ease some of the pressures that we do feel in life and go through. But they're not the leader that we follow. They're not the leader who dictates for us how to act under those pressures or uh, who to bring those pressures to as well. To the brokenness of this world that we live in, it'll always tear through those things. And if you're following them, well, they'll just lead you away from God and not to him. You'll get lost. So who do you follow when you feel the pressures of this world? And what rest and assurance can they give you? If it's not ultimately Jesus, then at best it's just a band-aid that's going to go a bit moldy and fall off. And at worst, it's someone that will actually lead you further away from God and not to him. So will you follow the leader? We're going to do that together in just a moment. We're going to join in with the solo of the king and read this psalm out together. Lily, if it's all right, maybe go back to the reading and put it back on the screen. But if you're in a season of not going through pressure at the moment, maybe say these words with the people around you who are going through these things at the moment. Say them with them to love them and care for them and point them towards Jesus. And get ready to say them yourselves when you do go through those different pressures, because you will. You will. And if you're reading this out, if you're wanting to follow Jesus and do this for the first time, that's really awesome. Um, Please chat to someone here about that or a friend that you came with about what that means. I'd love a chat after this service as well if you're up for it. But as well, if that's not you this morning, don't feel like you need to stand up and do this right now. Uh, Maybe just listen to the words and come up with a question or two to ask Duncan or Stephen later or your friend later on. But for everyone else, let's read this great psalm out together as we look to the leader we follow under the pressures of this life that we might be feeling right now. All right. Let's read it out together. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen.